You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green-Smith, episode 446. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP446. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Hey, hey, pod people, Amy here, and we are rounding out our fourth and final episode where we're discussing all things identity. We started off talking with Sarah Dean about who the hell am I and how to figure out the things that you like, the things that you want to spend your time invested in when you feel kind of like, uh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know who I am now that I've given everything over to my kids or everything over to my job and I've just lost myself. Start with that episode for sure. I jump into a bunch of assignments that can help you figure out how you've been labeled throughout your life ways that you might be identifying that's actually holding you back without you even realizing it. You'll definitely want to check that out. Last week, we talked with Lopa Vandermerch about what it's like to create a spiritual identity after you've broken out of a fucking cult and how do you get sucked into that to begin with, which... Spoiler alert, there's a lot of you out there who probably experienced something similar without even knowing it. So this has been a super rich series. This week, I'm super pumped. I'm going to be dialing up another expert, and I'm hoping that she will be available and will be able to pick up. Her name is Kara Barr, and she identifies as the unshakable queer coach. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Kara before we give her a ring. So this is so totally up my alley. I, I when I saw ever when I saw Kara, I got introduced to her through a uh, a mutual kind of colleague of ours and I was like, "Wait a minute. You are a certified life coach specifically for queer individuals who are ex-evangelicals who want better relationships with their fundamentalist family members. Hello. That could not be more aligned with the things that we talk about on this show and how deeply rooted that stuff is in our own personal sense of identity. So after leaving her family's faith traditions and coming out as queer herself, she really struggled to navigate the relationship with her parents. If you've hung out with me, any length of time. <laughs> you know that that is definitely something that that I've spoken about at length. But I don't know if you all know that I am queer and that I identify as queer. So we're going to dig into that and talk about that and how that does not necessarily vibe well with my extremely religious family members. So through coaching, Kara has found the tools to really confidently show up as her full self and to create the type of relationship that she wanted to have with her family. And now she's able to help others do the same thing. So if you have any rough or sticky spots with either wanting to own your own spiritual walk, your own spiritual faith and identity, whatever that looks like, and you're having opposition from other folks in your life, largely from family members, this is for you. And if you struggle at all with your own sexual or gender identity and have a difficult time owning that and celebrating that because of other folks in your life, this is also for you. 
So let's give her a ring and find out what the hell to do if you are queer as fuck and you are not raised in a family that really supports that. So let's give Kara a ring. Hello, this is Kara. Kara, hey, it's Amy. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Amy. How are you? I'm awesome. And I'm hanging out over here with the audience, and we are digging into some pretty sensitive topics around the LGBTQ community coming out as queer and kind of how that intersects with being raised in a, in an extremely religious household. And I was thinking I've got to call up Kara cause she knows all the things. So do you, do you have a little bit of, of time to chat with us? I do. Yeah. This is perfect timing. I actually just finished brushing my cat's teeth. Um, it was a little bit of a battle, but we, we got there. <laughs> And you didn't have to sedate them or anything? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there were a couple scratches, but that was it. <laughs> oh my gosh. And now they now they've got some some nice chompers. Good. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay. Well, I'm I'm excited to chat with you because I know we both have sort of a similar story. And I know that many people listening also have a similar story. And that is that we grew up with a pretty evangelical upbringing, you know, a lot of religious dogma, but then also I identify as queer. So I would love to hear first, just a little bit about your personal story. If you can share that with folks about sort of, it it kind of is like a coming out of both in both ways. I feel like hundred percent, you know, coming out as an atheist was also equally as big for me. So I would love, I would love to hear just your, your tale. For me, I was like you raised um, evangelical. I took my faith very, very, very seriously. I don't know about you, but for me, it was the most important part of my life. Um, And it was probably about six years ago, seven years ago at this point that I was in the best place of my life in terms of my faith. I was so close to God and I just wanted to get closer. Um, And I started reading the Bible more and more. I was praying more. I was um, just trying to get to know God in any way that I could, right? And what I started finding was questions, some discrepancies, some concerns. And I started asking those questions of God, not out of like antagonism or trying to find fault or anything like that. It was just a way of trying to get closer to God. But I was seeing these things like plagues and Noah's Ark, where God destroys most of humankind and genocide. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And, And so I was seeing those kinds of things and I was, you know, asking God like, hey, what's this about? Why are you killing all these people? Right. And not finding answers to that. I was seeing things of like, being encouraged to lack trust in ourselves, like verses where it talks about God's ways are higher than our ways. And that we, you know, I I was basically taught like not to trust myself, not to trust my emotions. Um, There's very much a pervasive sense in the evangelical community of like not enoughness, Mm -hmm. this lack of worthiness, right? And then of course, there's also issues that are coming up in a lot of churches now where we're seeing abuse, we're seeing toxic toxicity in churches. And I was just seeing all of these issues. And I I trusted that God was going to be able to answer these questions for me. And he didn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I started to just kind of realize over time, I'm like, I don't know that God is actually here. I remember just like praying to him, just sobbing that he would reveal himself to me and he just didn't. And it was just, it was such a painful experience. This, we call it deconstruction, this process of like questioning your upbringing, questioning the, the faith that you were raised with. And there's so many, I think, people who are still in the church who think of deconstruction as this thing that we set out to do to like be hedonistic, to find excuses for being sinful or something like that. But really for me, and I think for so many of us, it's like, we just really want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's just an exploration of the truth. 
And for me, it felt like I kind of didn't have a choice. It felt so important for me to answer those questions. I really wanted to know what was true. And it really came from a heart of wanting to know God ultimately. And I think that it like mirrors the coming out process in a lot of ways for people too, where it starts with, you've got these questions inside of you that need to be answered. Like, what is true for me? What is my sexuality? Who are the people that I'm attracted to and it's something that becomes you just kind of can't ignore it anymore and for me like i had being raised in evangelicalism i had never allowed myself to recognize that i was queer i always described myself as a straight woman who also was interested in women yeah but yeah since like deconstructing when you can question god when you can question the existence of god it gives you permission to question everything in your life and so for me i kind of had permission now after deconstructing to question even my sexuality to question all these other parts of my life and I started to recognize I'm like oh I think there's a word for being a straight woman who's also attracted to women actually (laughs) bisexual (laughs) right yeah yeah that's that's so curious I'm wondering specifically when you started that deep questioning and really what you're describing is grief like you're you genuinely are having kind of your heart broken And I I remember going through that. I mean, granted, this was a good like 25 years ago and there wasn't the term deconstruction around. So I didn't have a way to even identify what it was that I was grappling with, but I felt my situation was a little bit different and I can certainly share that. But did you experience people pushing back on your questioning? I remember that happening for me a lot in high school because I would, you know, I went to a a Christian school uh, through elementary through high school. And so we had Bible class and, and all of that every single year. And I would push back about like Abraham and Isaac. Like, can you imagine if there was somebody right now who was like, oh, no, God told me I need to kill my kid. And <laughs> and then God magically stops that you know, because he's testing you. And so I would kind of push back and be like, wait a minute. So to my teacher, I'd be like, so you're telling me you would sacrifice your kid because God said so. And I'd like, it was so mind boggling to me. But I remember when I would really start questioning some of these stories or anecdotes being looked at in such a positive, uplifting light, I was like, wait, no, I don't, Absolutely not. But there was so much making wrong of me for questioning. Like now there's something wrong with you because you're looking deeper or you're asking deeper questions. Yeah, there's so much pushback. It's I think like for people in the church, it's really scary because like if you see this person who's been so committed to their faith for so many years and now they have these big questions and now they're not sure what they believe, like it kind of puts into your own faith into question. And so I think for them, it's like, wait, 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 you can't, you can't question that. That's not okay because that calls into question what I believe and that's not okay either. So I think it's kind of a self-preservation sort of a thing for people, but it ends up being kind of fucked up for those of us on the side of questioning because we're like, where does that leave us? It feels so isolating. It feels so lonely to go through that experience. I always got the notion not, and this could be just the folks who I was around. I didn't feel like they were even close to examining their own faith. I think they were genuinely broken hearted genuinely, truly believed that I was being led astray by the devil. And there's the daftness to that. There's a lack of critical thinking, in my opinion. And I don't think it is out of malice. I think it really is genuinely from a place of, I am so saddened that you're not in alignment with me anymore. Did you find that at all? In terms of my story with kind of the way that it goes with my parents, is for them 100%. They were so brokenhearted over the questions that I was having. They want nothing else but for me to be happy. They want for me to be in heaven with them forever. And so for me to be non-Christian is devastating for them. Right. It's an experience that like is so so heart-wrenching for them to be going through. And I totally feel that because I remember what that was like. 
you know, on the other side of things where I remember having a hard time sleeping at night sometimes thinking about my friends who weren't Christian and thinking about them being tortured in hell, which now that I look back, I mean, as an eight-year-old to be not able to sleep because she's like obsessing over her friends who are going to be tormented for eternity. I mean, that's, it's kind <laughs> that's, of abusive. kind of big stuff. Yeah. 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 But like, I understand too. Yeah. I think that there's, there's kind of a trajectory, at least this is, this is kind of what's happened for me. And I would love to get your take on this. So I met my husband about, gosh, we, we met in 97 and then got married in 99 and it, I met him when I was 18. So I started experiencing all of these things that in my upbringing was always told. It was a very, very black and white. Like if you have sex, then you are going to either get AIDS, get pregnant, or that person's going to leave you and you're going to be devastated because a piece of your soul is now gone right? Like as if there's any dick magical enough to change a woman's worth. Can we fucking get over that for a second? No dick is powerful enough to change a woman's worth. Have as much dick as you want. Have as much pussy as you want. It does not change your worth. Oh my God. That just gets me like crazy, but it was all these extremes or if you gamble, all of a sudden you're going to become addicted. If you do slot machines at Vegas, you're going to become addicted and then you'll spend all your life savings. If you experiment with alcohol, you will become a drunk. If you try marijuana, you, it's a gateway drug. It it was, everything was so extreme. And then I started experiencing all of these things with him and he's like, Oh yeah, we can have some wine or, you know, let's, let's smoke some weed. Or, you know, his family was so, so opposite. It was like Dharma and Greg little old school nineties reference there for you. I remember feeling as I was experiencing these things and having such a different reality with them, I felt incredibly lied to. And it was, I didn't necessarily have this onslaught of guilt for doing those things. I felt duped. I felt like, holy fuck, there's this entire gray area that nobody told me was a possibility that you could actually enjoy weed and be fine. And actually get shit done, run a business, get a degree, do, you know, and, and that was never the perspective that I saw. So, so I'm curious, do you see that sort of a thing with clients where they're like, I feel fucking duped. I feel like just lied to and the grief that comes with that. What's your experience with that? We experience the binary in our culture, but especially in evangelicalism where it's either or. It's things are either sinful or they're not. Things are either, you know, for God or against God. Like there's such a binary experience. And I think that's why for so many of us who come out of evangelicalism, we start seeing the color in the world. We start seeing the world in not just, you know, black and white, but in these all, all different shades. And we start to be like, wait a second, like there's this whole world that I didn't know existed. There's all these different possibilities that I had no idea were here. I think part of that comes out as gender expression or sexual orientation. And sometimes for some people, it comes out in all these other ways, like, you know, smoking pot, not a huge problem. Drinking alcohol, not a huge problem. Like it's fine. Yeah. So what was the chronology for you from I'm guessing it started first with coming out as not Christian and then morphed into coming out as bi. Is that yes. correct? Or what did that look like? When my faith started to crumble, it was like everything else in my world crumbled too. It was like the foundations of everything sure. that I knew were shaken. And so I started questioning God. I started questioning my sexuality. I started questioning even all sorts of other things like my career and whether or not I wanted to have kids and all these other things, um, they all kind of got thrown into this equation of things that are allowed to be questioned now. And so for me, it was, it definitely started with the faith. And then it was probably, I don't know, maybe a year or so after I had started deconstructing that I was like, wait a second, I'm definitely bi. Then I got into the reconstruction process, which is, I think, kind of the second part of the equation, right? Where it's like our whole identity falls apart. And then we have to figure out, okay, what now? What is my identity? We have to start putting those pieces back together and deciding what is my identity. And I think 
realizing that I was bi was one of the first parts of that process of like putting the pieces back together and really recognizing the type of life that I wanted to create. So did you have a specific moment or like conversation with your parents where you said, Hey, I no longer subscribe to this religion. And, or did you have an official, Hey, I'm not straight. I'm bi. So I'm married to a man. And so for them, the bi part of it didn't really matter so much. I mean, I think it probably would have, if I weren't married by the time that I realized that with the whole being not a Christian thing, that was the thing that really freaked them out. So I did have a conversation with them about that a couple of years ago. I was terrified of that. It was actually on, I had made New Year's resolutions and it was on my New Year's resolutions for like nine months before I told them a few years ago, (laughs) tell them that I'm not a Christian. And finally I told them, and I was so terrified to have that conversation with them. And I could just see on their faces how devastated they were. It, It was so painful to tell them, but I just wanted so much to be truthful with them. I didn't want to hide that part of myself anymore. It was something that I had been going through. You know, I had kind of deconstructed over the last probably two or maybe three years before I told them. And it it felt important to me to finally tell them, to be honest with them. And I think for some people, they never go there. Like they never, you know, have that, um, that conversation with their parents because they're afraid it's going to be too painful. And for sure it was painful. Um, but for me, the honesty piece was more important. I'm thinking with my, my situation with my mom, my, my father has passed on, but he had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So (laughs) they were not fucking around. (laughs) They worked for a Christian. My mom still works for a Christian organization. There will be things that nonstop are like, So just say a prayer for this. And I'm like, I'll send you good energy. You know, like I'll respond back with like, I'll be thinking of you. Even though I have changed sort of my perspective around God and spirituality and things like that, I don't believe in that God. (laughs) And so I want to be very clear that I don't, that that, I don't do that. And so I've had a sort of a litany of different experiences where I've had to say, please don't send me that. Please don't give me these particular books. Please don't invite me to church. I don't invite you to summer solstice. I don't give you books on astrology. So I would really appreciate if you respected my beliefs in return, you know? And so I'm curious if you've had to have sort of a succession of, Hey, I really meant it conversations. Hmm. Yeah, I think what you're describing, Amy, is such a normal part of that process, right, where we tell somebody that we're not a Christian and they spend all their time trying to get us back into the fold. Like, hey, let's have another conversation about it. Hey, like, what about this? Here, I'm going to send you some material. And for sure, that's something that for a while I was really engaging in and I was like, I felt really defensive every time they sent me material or wanted to have that type of conversation. And I was kind of arguing back with them. I'm like trying to get them to understand my perspective. And I finally came to the the realization that like, they're never gonna be okay with it. And that's okay. Like, I don't need for them to be okay with it. I don't need for them to change. I don't need for them to stop like sending me material. I can just be like, okay, great, that's fine. Um, and just not read it. And it's totally okay. I had a conversation with a a friend of mine who we, we both grew up in the same Christian organization. And she said, uh, she had asked me, you know, how have you gotten to this place where you're just okay with everything? And I said, I had to get to a place of peace around being a disappointment to my parents, to my mom. And that, that is hers to carry. It is not mine. I am not disappointed in myself at all, but it's that struggle of, I need you to see me. I need you to hear me. I need you to believe me. I need you to agree with me. That's where I think we really break down in our own ability to stand in our own truth is, is just going like, Hey, you don't have to agree. You don't have to think that this is okay, but you absolutely have to respect me. And to me, that's a a major, major line. I don't believe blood is thicker than water. I feel like respect is thicker than water. So if you do not respect a boundary that I've placed, I don't care who you are. You know, if, if we cannot have this adult exchange with one another, 
I'm not going to continue. Curious what your perspective is on that. Boundaries is probably the biggest thing that I work with clients on is how do we establish those boundaries? How do we decide how we're going to show up, right? Because we can't force somebody else to do something different. And it sounds like you know that very, very well, right? Yeah. Um, we, we can't change how other people are showing up. We can just take ownership of how we're showing up. And that's really the power that comes from boundaries is being able to say, you get to own your part of this, which is what you say, or you think, or you do, and I'm owning my part of it, which is all of those things, you know, that I think, and I feel, and I do, um, and we're going to keep those separate, which I think is really hard with family because we're so used to being in this situation where we're like exchanging each other's emotions like that was how we were raised was where you know when one person is sad the other person is sad when one person is happy the other person is happy but as adults and as deconstructed adults we get to kind of make that decision where we're where we're really separating ourselves out from that from our parents from our families i think there's also something here you're pointing to which is the message specifically that cis gendered women are subjected to in a lot of dogmatic faiths. And that is that you are responsible for everybody else's emotions. You can't rock the boat. You need to problem solve. You need to be submissive. You need to be the caretaker. And so there's so much negativity that we then see in later years of life where people go, I feel guilty for even paying attention to my own needs. Like there's so many personal development concepts that we talk about that can oftentimes be traced back to some sort of religious dogma that's around self-sacrifice, even if it's the dogma that has permeated our patriarchal society, right? That just our entire nation was built on the, these premises that women are subservient, that you just need to say, yes, you need to take care of everybody else's emotion. And then when you get to this point where you're like, yeah, fuck that, then there's, there's kind of hell to pay in a, in a lot of different ways. And I don't know about you, but for me, I had such a hard time figuring out what do I actually like? What are my hobbies? Like people would ask, what are your hobbies? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, (laughs) I don't know what I like. All I do is I know how to help people. That's it. (laughs) And I think there's a, you know, that points to sort of the reconstruction or the rediscovery of like, who am I outside of this? And that's something that I, I work with folks on a lot is developing a sense of identity. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod? And I think this might happen for you where you think, Damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries. Or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where well, here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who couldn't use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com dot com slash speaking where they can get in touch with me because listen it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice take up space and advocate for their wants needs and opinions like yesterday And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my colorful language if needed. And thank you. 
Before we continue, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you know I'm a huge fan of therapy. I like to say, if you don't think that you need therapy, then you probably need therapy. Because listen, without a healthy mind, being really, truly happy and at peace can really be a challenge. But the good news is that therapy really does work. So whatever you need help with, it is time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better, okay? Because you deserve to be happy. Here's the deal. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't even have to be on camera if you don't want to. Hello, introverts. I see you out there. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have over 20,000 therapists in their network, which gives you way, way more options than your immediate geographical area. And it's also available for clients worldwide. Much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. In fact, a member of my family just started and totally loves it. It is always a good time to invest in yourself because you deserve it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Bold Face Truth podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash bold truth. That's betterhelp.com slash bold truth or enter the code bold truth at checkout again to save 10% off your very first month. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm curious for you now do you identify as anything related to faith or, you know, what's your perspective on religion and God and stuff now? It's such an interesting question because that was so important for me back in the day to know, like, what is the ultimate truth? If I'm not a Christian, what am I? I have to define this. It's so important. Like my partner's um, agnostic and he doesn't really use a label or something. And I was always just like, how can you not know? How can you not have this be like every waking moment of your life? You're trying to figure this out for yourself. But now I know what it's like. Now I'm like, I don't know. I don't really have a label. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in the God that I was raised to believe in, but I don't know what's out there. I'm curious about spirituality. I'm curious about astrology. I'm curious about just kind of general spiritual things. I'm just curious about it all. And I don't, really have to have an answer. I just get to have more questions, which is really fun place to be. That's really interesting. I know for myself when I realize like, oh, I don't believe that, but I don't know what I believe. I felt like I had to, I felt like I had to find a name for it so that I could defend it. Cause I felt like if I just said, I don't know, I'm open that those, that was like the prey, you know, of, we're going in and we're going to convert her, you know? And so I felt like Mm -hmm. I needed something to stand behind. And then I, then I kind of let that go quite a bit, but you know, now I, I say that I'm an agnostic atheist and I heard a, I heard a really great concept around this. And so, you know, obviously theism is around the belief right? Is there a belief in a God? Is there not a God? Atheism is there's not a God. And this gentleman was talking about how, okay, if we're talking about the Abrahamic faiths, if we're talking about Catholicism, Christianity, Mormonism, Hinduism, blah, blah, blah. As far as like that God, I'm atheist as fuck all damn day. But if we're talking about a belief in a God where we're talking about it being a force of nature, a universal energy, something like that, theist, theist all damn day. And I was like, I love that. I feel like for a majority of folks, though, we're talking about the Abrahamic faith. For that reason, I'm like, I don't believe in that. I'm definitely atheist when it comes to that. But agnosticism, you know, and Gnosticism is around knowing. Do I know? Hell no. Absolutely. I don't, but I'm also okay with that. (laughs) So I, I personally find freedom in the label and it feels, and it's, it's allowed to change and morph and that's fine too. So I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm kind of throwing out there is being in discovery, being in only a place where you're like, I don't believe that is fine. You don't have to have a label at all 
in order to find your own happiness and healing. Do you find that a lot with the clients that you work with that they need to fill it with something else? Yeah, I think exactly what you described. That's what I've experienced. Clients I've worked with have experienced where it's like, we've got to label it. We've got to figure this out. But it's so interesting because when you start to let that go, you start to find freedom in it and freedom in their the not knowing, freedom in just exploring the possibilities. Yeah. And then you start to find labels that really connect with yourself instead of finding a label from a place of desperation, like I have to figure this out. It's like, oh, here's my label. Here it is. It's been also helpful for me in, <laughs> you know, when I've had random family members say stuff to me about, oh, you know, that's not how you were raised or whatever. And I'm like, that's like telling me you, you used to believe in Smurfs when you were five. Why don't you still believe in Smurfs? And I'm like, that's what it is to me. You don't get to use that book or document or whatever. If I don't believe that that's a valid piece of work, you know, to live my life by like you, you're, it's like, you're telling me, well, this unicorn said so, so you better do it. Or this Smurf said you do it. So you should feel guilty. I'm like, you don't realize that what you're sharing with me, if I don't believe in that already as a construct, it's not helpful to your argument. (laughs) The number of times people have tried to use a Bible verse to convince me the Bible is true. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's not how burden of proof works. First of all, I want to talk again and kind of circle back to this idea of the intersection between queerness and being raised in a, in a really devout religion. Because you mentioned that you are married to a man. I too am married to a man. And so I've had some pushback with my family, my little brother in particular, that's like, you can't possibly be queer. You're married to a man. I said, okay, imagine your best friend who's gay. Let's say your, your best friend who is gay decides to marry a woman he is now in a quote, heterosexual relationship or hetero appearing relationship. That doesn't mean he's any less gay, right? It just means the construct looks a specific way to the public. Have you had to navigate that at all just with family or people pushing back and saying, you can't possibly be queer or even feeling for yourself, like, do I deserve to take up space in the queer community? That's definitely something I grapple with. Yeah, it's really been with myself and with the queer community. It's like this kind of sort of a feeling of like, am I queer enough to be here? Do I really deserve to be here? Where it's like, if I go out to a pride event with my husband, we appear straight from the outside, even though we're in a queer relationship. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of, I've, I've heard that question from so many people of like, do I really deserve to be here? Do I really deserve to take up space here? Am I queer enough for this space? Yeah, it's, and so the answer is yes, <laughs> you are, but I'm pan. I feel like I'm, I can be attracted to pretty much any gender. I genuinely find people attractive and I feel like I can kind of, I could work with whatever, whatever you got. You know, whatever you were assigned at birth, whatever you identify now, fluid, whatever, like I'm down for it, which gives me so such a luxury in this space. And it's what kills me about some of these crazy fucking laws where we can't talk to kids. I was that kid. I was that kid who needed to know that that was actually a viable option, that there was nothing wrong with you for being attracted to the person and not necessarily the gender. And it, I find it just morally reprehensible, some of the stuff that that's happening right now with the various legislation. I mean, that's it's, it's really vulnerable for me to even talk about because I too go through that space of like, am I queer enough? Am I allowed? Am I allowed to be here? But the more I speak about it, the more there's so many people like us. <laughs> there's so yes. many who are actually legitimately happy in a hetero passing relationship. In fact, I had a therapist who called my husband hetero flexible, and I had never heard <laughs> that, <laughs> that phrase before because he doesn't have to be with a straight woman. He's like, it's fine if you're whatever you are. 
but he was like, Oh, okay. You know, I guess there's always, there's always a new, new statement, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts at all about similar experiences that you might've heard from clients, where do you guide them? If they really like shut that off, some people end up marrying someone they're totally not attracted to because they feel like they have to, what, what do you see out there and what do you do to start helping people shift that? I think it just really, really varies based on the person. And I don't know that there's a one size fits all answer other than like the more honest we can be with ourselves, the more honestly we can show up in the world. And so like you might, by being honest with yourself, you might realize that you want to be in a different type of relationship than what you're in. And then you get to decide like, do I actually want to leave this relationship? Do I actually want to pursue that other relationship? But like, you get to make that choice consciously once you're aware of what it is that you really actually want, what it is that you're really attracted to, what are the parts of yourself that, that are true. Do you find that people come to you wanting the right answers? Like they want to do this right instead of like sort of that old dogma of like, no, I've got to be a good girl instead of genuinely exploring. This, I think, has been a struggle I've seen so much. And for myself as well, it's kind of like you start off believing that the world is black and white. It's sinful or non-sinful in terms of the actions that you can take. And then when you leave Christianity, you're like, oh, I don't believe in sin anymore, but I do still believe that things are moral or amoral. And so then I had started to put the world into the black and whites again. I started to assign things as moral or amoral and things that were on the amoral side of things for me were anything that hurts anybody else in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so that included hurting someone else's feelings by telling them the truth about myself. And so that was something that I had kind of labeled as something that was immoral to do. And so I kept myself from sharing the truth for the longest time because I thought that that would be immoral. And so I think like the more we can kind of peel this this back and start to explore what is true for us, the more we can start to question how the binary shows up in all these different ways. Wow. That there's such a direct correlation too, to what we talk about on this show all the time, which is if I speak up for myself or if I establish this boundary, I'm purposely inflicting hurt on someone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a reckoning with the fact that hurt may be incurred, but that does not necessarily mean that A, you're responsible for it or B, you're doing something wrong, right? And, And that's a really difficult place to grapple with. So I'm, I'm curious for you, like there has been so much grief around this for me. And I'm assuming for a lot of the deconstruction community, how do you support people through that grief? Like, what does that look like? I think the first step is kind of just recognizing that it is really a grief. I think we start to think that we should be able to just move past it. We should be able to just kind of figure out what's next for us in life without stopping there and really feeling the negative emotion and processing through that and processing through the grief and recognizing it for what it is. Um, So allowing ourselves to really like process that, to really experience that. I think that's really important. Um, there's, I mean, there's a grief that comes from, you know, and for everybody, it's going to look a little bit different, but for some people, it might be the grief of my family isn't who I really would want them to be. My family isn't there for me in the way that I want them to be. My family isn't supporting me or accepting me in the way that I want them to. Um, there's grief that comes from making the choice to tell other people the truth about you and seeing them hurt. And seeing, you know, the pain that they're experiencing and then grieving that yourself while also simultaneously kind of keeping it separate from that's not my responsibility, but I can still be sad. I can still grieve that they're sad in this experience as well. Yes. Like it all gets to exist. And I think it's the collapse of meaning that ends up being so problematic when we say, you know, my parent is hurting. So that must mean I'm a horrible daughter or I'm a horrible human when it's like, no, my parent is hurting 
because of the beliefs that they have chosen to subscribe to that are in direct opposition to what lights my soul on fire. And that's a really difficult place to be, especially because you've been conditioned to take care of everybody else's emotions. It's a really conscious unlearning, isn't it? Yeah, it really is very, very much a process that takes a lot of practice. I'm curious if you see like a really common thread of like the biggest communication obstacles that that people have with parents like this. The first thing that comes up for a lot of people when you first come out to them, whether it's as ex-evangelical or queer, or even for people who have just some other kind of like toxic family system that's going on and you're saying, no, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Any way that you're coming out to your family, like they're going to have an issue with it, right? Because it's going against the structure of the family. And so expecting them to not have an issue with it, that's the first communication (laughs) breakdown that I see occur. And so I always recommend that we give people time and space to process, first of all, because we've been going through this deconstruction process or whatever process internally for a long time before we finally tell them about it. And then expecting them to get on board in the next like 30 seconds is maybe a little unrealistic. Giving them some space and time to process, I always recommend that. And then over time, if they aren't kind of getting on board with where you want them to be, I think the next thing is is where people are are trying to change their families, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I think, kind of the where where my clients end up landing typically is I really want my family to change. I really want my family to accept me for who I am. I really want my family to show up for me in a certain way. I really want them to do this, this, and this. And the truth is like, we can't change that. We can't affect that at all. And so being yeah. able to just simply own your part and let them be who they are, because whether you let them or not, they're going to do it anyway, letting them be them and you taking complete ownership of only what you have control of, not their responsibility to control. I think that's really kind of the key in that communication with them in a way that is really healthy and helps you to establish like the type of relationship that you really want with them. What is your relationship with your your folks now? I can't speak for their side of things, obviously, but on my side, I just love them. They don't behave in the way that I might like put down on a list. Like if I had a little checklist for them or something, they're not following my list, but it's okay. Like they're just showing up as them and I love them as they are. And that's totally fine. And that's taken me a really, really long time to get to that place of being able to really accept them as they are. And I mean, to be honest with you, Amy, sometimes it still is a challenge. Sometimes there still is the, I wish that they would do this differently. I wish that they wouldn't show up in this way. So that definitely still comes up for me. But I think when I bring myself back to, here's what I can control in this part of my, my relationship with them, then it just brings me back to love always. Are they aware of your specific niche in coaching? They are, and they definitely are not happy with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have to sort of have a barrier like that with my mom because my work is very new agey to her, which is obviously of the devil. And then she works in an organization that literally will go stand outside of Islamic groups various like festivals and things that they're like getting together, these Muslim communities, and she'll go and like witness with a bunch of people, which I find unbelievably disrespectful. Like this is their place of worship. This is something that they are participating in and you're going to, and and I get that you feel convicted, but because of that, because of like our work and the things that we're so incredibly passionate about are diametrically opposed, we simply just can't talk about it. Do you find that at all? Like where there's just like, we just can't discuss this. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely things that I just don't talk about with them. And I think like, it's interesting for those of us who have deconstructed because a lot of times some of those things are things that we used to talk about. Like I used to have amazing conversations with my parents about faith, about what I believed, about spirituality, about beliefs in God, all of that. And like we had these incredible conversations and we just 
don't now. I mean, I tried that for a while, um, but it was not productive. It was not something that felt good to me to do. So I've just stopped that. And that's what feels really clean, really healthy for me to do at this point. And I think it's kind of like, sometimes people think they're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to change the way that conversations have gone in the past, but a hundred percent, you get to define the relationship as you want to. I mean, for Mm -hmm. most of us, we don't discuss our sex lives with our parents, for example, and that's Mm -hmm. never been the case. And so it's not weird for me to not discuss my sex life with my parents now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But kind of coming from a place where we used to talk about this and now we don't, sometimes that's a challenge for people to navigate but it's totally allowed. Yeah. I think that's, that's so important that you underline that permission. And I think sometimes that's the biggest step is genuinely believing that you are the only one who needs to give yourself permission to change those dynamics, to, to opt out of conversations where you feel attacked or where, you know, you're not being listened to or being abused, being verbally abused. You know, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I, you know, when I first really started grappling with my face, that it was like 25 years ago and there really wasn't a word for it. I went through this trajectory of, okay, well, I don't believe that. And I've been very clear that that's not my path. I don't identify as Christian, nothing like that, but it's only been over the last couple of years that I've identified such extreme religious trauma and actually labeled it as religious trauma and abuse. And that has completely shifted like a new element of healing for me, where I really started seeing a lot of the parallels between the messages that I received then and how that influences my sense of self-worth, my sexuality, how I engage with my partner. So much of that is rooted in trauma and just claiming that as trauma incurred a bunch of grief. I'm curious about that for you and your clients, like the, the notion of that word of trauma or the word abuse. And obviously that carries a different tone for so many folks, but is that something that you discuss and talk about? Like, are people comfortable claiming that if it is their reality? Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that first of all, it highlights a little bit of a difference between talk therapy and life coaching, where in therapy, that's something where therapists will diagnose specific traumas or basically the the purpose of therapy is to get somebody who's having trouble functioning, especially due to a past issue like trauma, um, help them get up to baseline. Whereas with life coaching, we're working with people who are already functioning on, you know, just, just a fine level. Um, but they want to get up to thriving in life and there can a hundred percent be crossover. And for me, myself, I have a therapist and a life coach. I love working with both. It's amazing. And so on the trauma side of things, that's something that depending on what the trauma was might be more appropriate for a therapist. It's really going to depend on the person and the situation, but in other situations, for sure, we talk about trauma in life Mm -hmm. coaching. We talk about things that in, in life coaching, the the perspective is a lot more focused on the future instead of disentangling what happened in the past. And so to frame what happened to you in the past as trauma might be very, very helpful for figuring out where you want to go in the future. And so for sure, some clients will talk about some traumas and we'll talk about how that can kind of usher in what they want to create in the future. There's certainly lots of crossover for sure in those modalities. And the more, the more I dig deeper and have added sort of this, these arsenal of different modalities and tools, the more I realize that whether we're talking about like a big T trauma or a little T trauma, everyone has it period, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody also has a different level of resilience, I think. And for me, I recognize that whether it's being an empath or what, I am so incredibly affected by that stuff. And, and that really is truly what trauma is. It's, it's not a specific thing like going to war or 
you know, being held at gunpoint, even though those things obviously can be traumatizing, they don't look a specific way. It's a matter of how somebody interpreted an event, how long something has stuck with you. I mean, that's really it. It doesn't have to be much more complicated than that, I don't think. But to your point, depending on the level of severity and the function, how how functional somebody is, that's going to dictate what type of practitioner is suitable. So I have a, another final question for you here. I feel like I could ask you so many things here, but I want to be vigilant about your time. You call yourself the unshakable queer coach. So talk to me just about what does unshakable mean to you? So to me, unshakable is really just the feeling that comes with like owning the fuck out of your relationships where um, what other people say or do isn't what's going to make or break your day. It's being able to own your life and living the life that you want in the way that you want to. And what about moments when you feel totally shook, (laughs) you know, when you get a bit shook? Um, Yeah. Yeah, for sure that happens to all of us. It's where Mm -hmm. you have your own back and you are your safe space for yourself. It's where you catch yourself when you fall. It's where you practice the way that you talk to yourself so that you're not beating yourself up, so that you're not talking shit about yourself. It's the way that you take care of yourself in those moments. Got it. So it's more of what you choose to do with the disruption rather than saying, I am this disruption or I'm a victim to this. Totally. Okay, cool. So if there are folks who are out there and they're listening and they're going, whew, I am seeing that there are a lot of elements from some sort of religious upbringing that are still really impeding who I am in this world. What is like the first thing to do or your first bit of advice? What do you need them to hear? First of all, I really want people to know that if you're questioning where you're at in your faith or questioning basically anything that was foundational to your upbringing, any foundational understandings that you have, like that's a really brave thing to do, to be willing to question that and to be willing to shake at those foundations. Just to know that you're brave for doing that and that the questions and the uncertainty isn't going to last forever. It feels like it's going to be infinite, but it's not. You will get to the other side. You get to create the other side and you're not alone in this. Like there's so many people who have gone through this process. And Amy, it sounds like for you, maybe there wasn't really so much of a community that you Mm -mm. um, were aware of back in the day when you deconstructed, but now like there's online communities. So if you don't know anybody in person who's going through the same thing that you are, there's so many online communities that you can get connected with, with people going through the exact same thing. I mean, I'll tell you, TikTok changed my life. TikTok was the first place I even heard the word deconstruction. And that was just like two or three years ago. And that completely shifted. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many people out there who have (laughs) gone through the same things. And then whole groups that are talking specifically about the sexual effects of of, uh, religion and dogma and and I'm like, oh my God, I feel so seen. So I'm, I've definitely gotten involved in a handful of them, but I still feel like I have more healing to do. That's actually part of my goals for this year is to work with somebody specifically around the intersection between religion and it affecting your sexual responses and sexuality and things like that. Mm. So It is a tangled web, my goodness, but I'm so grateful for your insight and for you sharing your story and indulging me and sharing mine. Where can people find out more about you? Where do you hang out on the interwebs so that they can come get in contact? Yeah, absolutely. I like to hang out on Facebook. I'm on facebook.com slash coaching and uh, my website, carabarcoaching.com as well. I've got a uh, free guide that's available for people on there. It's called Build Better Relationships in Three Simple Steps, even with your fundamentalist parents. Um, you can just click on the Get Started button on the website and that'll take you right there. It's geared toward queer folks and or ex-evangelicals, but it can really kind of be for anybody who's looking for better relationships in their life. Perfect. So we'll be sure to throw that into the show notes. And Kara is K-A-R-A and Bar is B-A-R-R if you are. Yes. 
highly auditory. And we'll be sure to throw those again as easy links for you on the show notes. Thank you for letting me interrupt your cat grooming of the day. <laughs> I, I appreciate it so much. You're so welcome. And thank you for, for having me here, Amy. I appreciate it. Of course. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Bye, Kara. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ooh, this series has been so instrumental just for me and my own questioning and looking at my own shit and really continuing to dig deeper into my own identity, my own spiritual self, my own sexual self. So I'm hoping that this has offered a little bit of insight and guidance of where to start. If you're feeling that pull, that maybe you've been operating under a belief system that that just really isn't for you or isn't celebrating the breadth of the human that you are. I would love to hear if you have any major takeaways. I hang out the most over on Instagram. So scoot over there. Find me under the handle Hey Amy Green Smith, and just find the show meme for this particular episode and let me know what you extracted. What was the big aha or the like, whoa, I never fucking thought of it like that or anything else that you might want to share with me. I would love to hear it. Next week, we're jumping into a brand new series on boundaries. One of my absolute favorite, favorite topics. We're going to have some experts. I'm going to be doing some back-to-backs, sharing one of my favorite formulas around boundary setting. And we're also going to even talk about when not to speak speak up. You don't hear me talk about that very often, but that is also a thing. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you around these parts next week. Please remember your voice matters. You are enough. So go out there and tell the bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you, bye.